Well, hello. Welcome to Motor Cult Podcast Episode 1. I'm Eric Berger. I'm Ryan Sinensky. And this is more of a, you know, a, it's a grassroots focus on automotive news and stories as well as the car community as opposed to a little more uh, wide scoping reach like uh, a publication like Jalopnik or something like that. So a lot of that is just us venting about local car news and projects and how we blissfully <laughs> watch the manual transmission and rear-wheel drive platforms uh, exit the market. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's also going to be a little bit more centered on Midwest-based stuff, but we like to do national stuff as well. Um, I do a little bit of traveling for my other gig in the automotive community. What right? is your other gig in the automotive community? Well, I write for JapaneseNostalgiaCar.com and a few other publications on and off. Now, do they work with Japanese cars there, or is it predominantly uh, German? No, actually, they exclusively work on Yugoslavian vehicles. Interesting. Yes, it's actually a, it's not even a blog. It is just a Yugoslavian <laughs> garage. <laughs> so it's just, yeah, I picture a very small garage with very poor flooring quality covered in basically Adidas tracksuits. Precisely. Yep, that is what Japanese is selling. That's basically is. where we're sitting right now, actually. Actually, yes. The, the motorplex <laughs> with the giant Pegasus on the wall sounds a yes. lot like Yugoslavia. We are currently... Recording this at Auto Motorplex in Chanhassen, Minnesota. Uh, for those of you who aren't from Minnesota, it is basically a giant farm field that has been converted to garage space for the one percent of Minnesota. Yeah, basically the <laughs> so car deal is the target. I mean, if you look in these <laughs> garages, they're like Jaguars <laughs> and like Ferraris, Lamborghinis. Literally, Burt Reynolds' Lamborghini from uh, Cannonball Run is like two garages over. How exactly we got here? I have no idea, but luck of the draw. Nevertheless, <laughs> we're here. That's draw. where we're recording. That's where the equipment fits, and okay, that's kind of how it's going to be. So, we might cycle venues a little bit as we record, but the actual setup and the personality should be the same. Uh, we are anticipating trying to have um, guests on as well to get a little more of a maybe a, a difference of opinion in because <laughs> there are certain things that Ryan and I don't agree on necessarily. Just us bantering back and forth. <laughs> All cars made in America Basically, are inferior to German, and all Japanese cars are actually better than everything. Yeah, so we're trying to <laughs> keep it a little more concise and basically keep us in check from time to time. The first uh, episode, the one you're listening to right now, is more of a pilot just so we can get a feel for everything, and then uh, we will branch out from there and try to get the best quality people we can on. Yes, precisely. So, yeah, and I... Uh... Hope to get some people, not just from Minnesota, but like from the actual car community at large. Um, I guess when I say car community, it's kind do of you got... mean car community. Ah, uh, <laughs> see what I did there. Yes, I do. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, I I don't mean to say like we're gonna be just exclusively talking to like people that are in like the collector community or like the drift bro community or like automotive reviewers. That what like... about track day, bro? Track day bros is Did you well, know sure. that headlights go up and headlights also go down? Yes, they do. Excellent. Most of my cars do that. Actually, a good, <laughs> a good number of mine also have pop-up headlamps. That's the way they should be. Which, I mean, we could talk about just pop-up headlights. I think, I think we're going to have an entire episode of us just talking about pop-up headlights I'm and actually why they're superior. Totally fine with that. Good. Because I am I'll, too. I'll bring several examples down here for that episode. I can too. So, excellent. Actually... All right, none of mine run. Well, we'll just pop-ups. tell people that they're here because yeah. this is currently an audio-only podcast. This is true. Yeah, all of my pop-up headlight cars run, and they're all fantastic, and none of them have any issues at all. They're all like showroom fresh. It's great. Precisely. Yep, exactly. And without any further question, let's move on. <laughs> 
So uh, the first thing I wanted to talk about was, uh, well, actually, it's pro probably the worst thing you could ever have happened to you <laughs> as a teen driver. So everybody always yeah, says, there. everybody gets really nervous when they're doing their driver's test. You're always, you know, worried like, oh, God, I'm going to do something wrong. And, like, the worst thing you could possibly do wrong is say, put the car into drive and gun it through the front door of the testing center like a teenager did in Buffalo, Minnesota. Or as Jalopnik says, Buffalo, Minneapolis, which everybody knows Minneapolis is the best state in the country of Minnesota. That is, yeah, Minneapolis is, a, is one of the most thriving states. It I really is. It's a great state. It, time. it has a fantastic economy. Buffalo is the capital. By Buffalo the way. is the capital yep. of Minneapolis. That is a fact. <laughs> oh, my. So, I, I, uh, I don't know who's editing that, but they kind of kind of dropped the ball there. <laughs> yep. I actually I found the Jalopnik article as well, and then I clicked through it after it was pestering me to whitelist them on Adblock, which I did not do. <laughs> um, and I got through to the KXAN, which I think must be the local affiliate in Buffalo for NBC. Okay. Yeah. And I found the actual article, and it's basically exactly the same as the Jalopnik article, except with correct terminology, because it says <laughs> Buffalo Min. M-I-N-N. So they must have thought that that was... Maybe they thought, like, Buffalo was, like, a district in Minneapolis. Maybe. I mean, that would make sense, because, I mean... I'll take Buffalo, New York. I mean, they're probably like, oh, okay. They have one, too. <laughs> <laughs> well, as, you know, they have, like, names for, like, you know, parts of town. Like, you have, like, Uptown in Minneapolis, mm -hmm. or, like, when you're in Los Angeles, like, you know, West Hollywood. I live in well Queens, St. Paul. Yeah. <laughs> Did you say Queens, St. Paul? I might have. <laughs> But uh, yeah, no. So I, I I don't know exactly what she did. I uh, I, I was clicking through the Jalopnik article, and I actually I, I got to the point where it said Buffalo, Minneapolis, and I was too busy laughing. I can and, summarize it if you'd yeah, like. Yeah, why, why don't you have do that article for me? That'd be, that would me. be great. Actually, this says, <clears throat> police say Minnesotan teen accidentally crashed into a building while taking her driver's exam Wednesday because she, <laughs> and I quote, accidentally and inadvertently put the vehicle into drive instead of reverse as she accelerated. What was the that light? The little green D, did that bulb go out? It was um, a Chevy, so it might have. I mean, it, yeah, it very well could have been broken. It was an Equinox. I, yeah, I just thought, like, when it wasn't in park, it was just, like, all of the, you know. It's like you pull the pedal for reverse and you push it for drive. <laughs> That's like what a, you do. It's like you, a Tesla. It's a yeah, one-power no, car. Yeah, on, on a Tesla, what you do is you don't even shift gears. You just t put your foot under the gas pedal and pull up towards you, Precisely. and that's how you go in reverse. Which is why they need autonomous mode, because your, your, uh, your leg muscles. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, it's a workout. Yeah, yeah no, you'll, terrible. You'll, you'll be crippled after an hour. You see people, like, yeah, stumbling around on sidewalks. They've got <laughs> Tesla Model S's, and they just <laughs> yeah. travel a really long way. Exactly. It's, it's just the worst experience. Anyway. I've actually, I've never driven a Tesla, so I can't verify this. This is all going off of Burger's conjecture. <laughs> I was eating McDonald's while I autopiloted and Mark's P90D. So, <laughs> Anyhow, the one other thing I want to mention on that is it did say that the license examiner, a 60-year-old woman, was taken to an area hospital oh for non-life-threatening <laughs> injuries after this. And there's a good photo of this four-cylinder 2010 Equinox in beige. <laughs> Sticking through this 1960s brutalist strip mall storefront, which is what Buffalo, Mini, but, Minneapolis, sorry, if, Buffalo, if, Minneapolis is. I feel like most people outside of like the West Metro, I feel like most people from St. Paul have never been to Buffalo, Minnesota, and with good reason, because it really is just like, it's a cesspit of every negative stereotype that you could ever have of small town America all coming to light in one single town. 
even the people that live there, I've never heard a positive oh, yeah. they review. All want out. I've never heard a positive review of that city. Like <laughs> most small towns, like they're kind of quaint and cute, and it's like, yeah, this is cool. Yeah, it's Buffalo super inconvenient, but it's cute. But Buffalo's just like everybody's like, oh no, it's terrible. We have one Chinese restaurant, and everybody. I've actually been to that one. I used to scrap cars in Delano, which for the listeners that aren't local is about. It was what, 10 minutes west, and I used to work 10 minutes east, so and that was the only it food. Was, it was 10 minutes west of Buffalo, so probably in South Dakota, because everything 10 minutes of just pure highway driving exactly. would be the longest distance exactly. on Earth. Yeah. <laughs> I just did that because it was the only salvage yard in the region that would take a car without a title at the time. Ah, And even though I have titles... The, uh, that's a testament <laughs> to the quality of the city of Buffalo. <laughs> or Delano. Or Delano. But Buffalo is allowing me to traverse through it to do this. So <laughs> this is true. It's mostly there. Del- I will say Delano is a little bit nicer. It's a little bit better than Buffalo. I don't know. But Delano doesn't really have any built up infrastructure at all. They have a slight, you know, a little downtown. Yeah, but you see, you get what you expect there. That's true. Like Buffalo. It does like, have more. When you see a picture of Buffalo, Minnesota, you go. Buffalo, Minneapolis. Oh, I'm sorry. Buffalo, Minneapolis. You see a picture of it and you say. This looks like a great place. This is such a cute little town. It's right off the highway. Oh. How fantastic. And it, on Google Maps, it doesn't look like it's that far away so from anything. So they're pulling a liberal arts college website where yes. they have the one structure on campus that was made in the last 10 years. Yes. And they put that. all their it's diversity like all in front of it for all the website photos. Yes. Exactly. Actually, wasn't that a college humor thing a couple of years ago? <laughs> was it? It was like, the rest of our <laughs> campus is made in the architectural dark age. <laughs> This literally never happens. Our entire architecture, except for this one building, was exactly. made by the same designer that designed all of Stalingrad in like the 1980s. Or Ralph <laughs> Rapson, who designed the famous Cedar Riverside Towers. No, that's the guy's name. Ralph Rapson. I did not know there was a person that designed that. Yeah. I thought they just like appeared out of poverty. For anyone <laughs> listening that doesn't know what we're talking about, Google uh, Riverside Plaza, Minneapolis, Minnesota, and just... Feast your eyes. It is just an armpit. It it's also known as Little Somalia and the Crack Stacks. It is just awful. I. Anyway, I guess we're kind of diverging from cars a little bit. <laughs> the point of the story is, it's not surprising to me that this happened in Buffalo, Minneapolis. No, it's it's not. Not not at all. Knowing <laughs> Buffalo and just the sort of things that happen. How this there. garnered national news? I'm a little surprised. It must be a really slow which makes week. it even worse for the teen driver. I think that's the that's the funniest part. That's what I was laughing so much about. We should I, have found this person and gotten them on. All right, so we should probably get this person on for one of the following podcasts and follow up that. on this. That'd be super funny. But like, I remember when I was taking my teen driver's test, I I was just horrible. Because it took me like three. What did you take yours in, actually? What was it? It was, um, all right, so I ended up having to take it three times. And my parents had the worst cars, like, ever. Because at that point, I was a teenager and, like, did not care about getting Did you do it when you were 16 or did you wait longer? So I originally did it when I was 16, but I didn't actually pass it until I was 17. Oh, for the love. It was a long story. But the first two times were in a Kia Optima. With a V6. I remember that car. That car actually could do some gnarly burnouts. Is that a three or two seven? Uh, no, it was a it was a Mitsubishi Eclipse V six. Three liter. So it was a three liter. Oh, yeah, okay. it was well, single brake cam. Um, yes, this was yeah. Okay. Well, all the Kias and Hondas of that era were based off Mitsubishi products. Right. So as terrible as the cars were. Well, I like, the Sonati look under the hood. It's like, that's a 4G. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and the car actually passed my driver's test. It was my mom's manual Hyundai Tiburon, which oh, had man. like basically a 4G in it. It was really cool. Yeah, but That's why you could bolt, bolt DSM turbo manifolds to them, right? Exactly. Yeah. Actually, I think I remember I heard once that 
the Hyundai Tiburon cylinder heads yeah. actually flow better than the original Mitsubishi. Oh, so they took a really like, terrible Diamond Star design and they gave it to South Koreans who improved it? Basically, yeah. Okay, that, sounds that's, good. That's kind of that's how... Like, Did they also fix the crank lock issue? <laughs> I don't know. Because well, hmm. really, like that, that's kind of like a non-issue. Like, it's almost yeah. like it happens like once in a blue moon. I know. It's like the IMS in a Porsche. I think it really doesn't happen that often. I think you're more likely to have some other catastrophic failure because of the poor quality knockdown kit construction before you get we'll to say the crank built lock. to a price quality. They are, I'm sorry, not built poor quality. Built it's to like a the price. Mitsubishi Mirage, <laughs> which we'll get into maybe later. I think we're going to have an entire episode <laughs> on the Mirage. Yeah, we'll saying, skip it for this one because that's. Yeah, that I'm, we had I, a heated discussion when we watched our, um, an unnamed video review on the uh, internet. That man. <laughs> Anyhow, <laughs> but I will say I am a fan of the Mirage, and I will make sense of that in future episodes. Yeah, you you did bring some points to it, which I agree with. So oh, we will definitely have a discussion. Of that. There were some good points, and there are also some bad points. So we'll cover that. <laughs> but anyway, this wasn't the only, uh, we'll say, relatively minor but important crash in national news this <laughs> oh. last week. The other one that you probably have all heard of is the Uber self-driving Volvo <laughs> XC90 absolutely splattering a homeless woman on a bicycle in Arizona. And I'm not I'm laughing sh- at the fact that it was uh, somebody that died. I'm just laughing that it's like, of course it's Uber. Who else would have this kind of bad luck? If there's ever going to be any bad PR involving the tech sector, it's going to involve Uber and or Facebook. And, and I think wasn't the driver like on her phone, probably like looking at Facebook or something. Yeah, there's there's in car <laughs> video as well as the dash cam video, and you can see the guy inside that was you know behind the wheel of this thing yeah. traveling was a 38 and a 35. He was texting, but I mean he was like looking up occasionally, and he was looking up like before and during the actual collision, and you could see him just like scramble. It's like the oh shit moment. <laughs> it's like, like he doesn't have time to even like put his hands back on the, the steering wheel. This is this is kind of like everything every single car enthusiast has said about self-driving cars, and yeah. they've all been told to shut up about. Because the thing <laughs> is, like, all right, if you're driving a self-driving car, like you're gonna have worse reaction time than you would be like even texting and driving in an automatic car. Yeah. That, really? Well, that's true. I mean, it's, it's kind of like the really involved, like if you're asking, answering uh, math problems or doing math on, on the telephone. Yeah, exactly. It's actually more distracting in a lot of cases than text messaging. No way, really. Yeah, but that's huh. only, I mean, text messaging, the, the biggest issue I guess for I've, me I've, is I've, if I've I'm, never driven down the road while like laying out some like fat like equation. Oh, wow, dude, you got to try it sometime. I'll, I'll do that next time. When I drive back, I'll, I'll call my girlfriend up and do just it. like give her some ridiculous equation for Solve like string for theory X. or something. Yeah. <laughs> well, <ugh>. <laughs> <laughs> I actually don't recommend that, but I think the main problem, uh, at least with me with text messaging, not that I would ever do that because it's illegal, um, is if you're text messaging down near the center console and your eyes aren't you know, facing the road, yeah, that's no, a problem. That's, that's it's, way it's worse. It's the inability for your brain to see an obstacle or something and hit it. Yeah. So if you're going to do it, which don't do it, I usually it you know up in front of my field of vision <laughs> when you're in mexico when i'm in mexico yes, where there are no Mex- rules it's the only place you can text and drive legally. anyway it's, it's helpful at least if i have peripheral vision that's up in the line of sight see i don't uh, i just don't text and drive because the reason i don't it's not because i i can't because i i can i just don't want to talk to people have you ever done it on a racetrack no you should try a naturally aspirated Fiat 500 on the Brainerd Long Course because it's <laughs> actually pretty safe to text and drive on the well, racetrack. Yeah, because yeah, yeah, you're going like 30. <laughs> nah, man. 99 through turn one. Wait, 
What? That's actually like quite rev limiter in third. <laughs> it's it's actually faster to just leave it pinned on the limiter through the turn. <laughs> I remember last time I took a car out to BIR. Well, I guess I took the CRX out, but with my MR2. Yeah. The part of the reason why and I sold AW11. It, yes, I, 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 I used. I, I should explain. I used to have a uh, eighty-five AW11 MR2, the one with flip-up headlights, and it's really angular. No, the early one with the flip-up headlights, both the first and second. Oh my bad, the really angular one. There you go. Yeah. So, because I had the melted marshmallow flip-up headlights. Yes, version, you did. SW21. Yes, you did. I, I, I can't get down with that car. Like, oh, I love the Gen Two. I mean, like when I see it, when I see it compared to other cars, like yeah, yeah it's a great car, but I just can't get down with it as much. But anyway. With the AW11, um, I was doing the autocross, and part of the reason why I sold it was I was either bouncing off of rev limiter in second gear, and like, like not just like a little bit, like when I let, when I let off the gas, <laughs> it's sitting there at like 7,000 RPM. Um, yeah, but that's whatever, what like 500 off of whatever the rev limiter was. I think it was seven. pretty high. Uh, I know it's something it insane. It's a four. Now. It is a 4AGE. It was yeah. just a, it's a great engine. but It is a good engine. It, it was just not meant for that exact <laughs> autocross course. Is either I bounce off of rev limiter the entire time in second, or I am basically idling along in third, because the second and the third gear shift in that car, you have about 1,000 RPM of being outside of the power band. You'd have been better off with the 88 supercharger. That had a lot, little bit taller box in it. You know, the thing that really gets me with that car, the reason why I did not want that, mm -hmm. uh, the steering wheel is absolutely grotesque to me. I hate the steering wheel in it, and that was the thing that ruined it. I would Google it, but my keyboard is so loud, I'm not going to, <laughs> so I'll do it later. But Here. that's amazing to me. Like, was it not at all 1980s looking? It looks like, you know, like in the late 80s, when they were trying to like refresh a car before they had designed the new one, they would just yeah. do like a couple of things to like sure. make it touch a little better. Yeah, little touch points and, and stuff. Like yeah. So it had this like weird steering wheel. It was like, because the original steering wheel was the exact same one you got in the A86. Okay. Is that it that was, rectangular horn pad? Uh, yeah, it's it, just yeah. beautiful. It's like the best thing you could get. But then you went to this like weird, like kind of rounded one. It kind of looks like the steering wheel in my 90 Cressida that I have, huh. which makes a little bit more sense in that car since that car is you know, a lot softer and smoother. Did they do it for padding reasons or just to update the look? Update the look. Okay. And, but I mean, the thing is they didn't update anything else. So everything Not that they needed to. Everything, perfect. everything, yeah, no, everything looks like it came out of Tron, and then you have this like weird steering wheel that looks like it's from like Good Burger. Mm. <laughs> wow, that's it atrocious. Was, <laughs> it was really weird. I it wasn't a big. We fan actually of it. need a future episode talking about just quirky steering wheels from the '80s and '90s because like the I'm a master the of the Rin Speed Porsche 911 that had like the the mechanical keyboard where the airbag <laughs> should be. It was incredible. There is all... Uh, it's like the early 90s GM and like the silhouette and the dust buster and stuff like that. I'll get a picture of it, but uh, Japanese Nostalgia Car posted up an article a couple of years ago of probably the longest name of a car ever, but it's basically a Nissan Gloria. Um, but no, it had a control for every... It's also every... the name of a stripper. Probably. But it uh, had a key for every single function in front of like that you could do in the car on the steering wheel i imagine in getting to a car accidents like getting hit over the face of the keyboard but that was it but yeah we definitely need to do a whole episode about steering wheels you writing that down yes you putting that in good that needs to happen <laughs> <laughs> well i mean may as well spitball while we're doing this exactly yeah. i'm also gonna write down the mirage episode yes you have to write down the mirage episode um <laughs> 
Well, good, because I did. You know, I, I guess, well, now we're kind of getting off of topic and on to... That will more... never, ever happen. <laughs> no, never. Not it's on it. this episode, not on future ones. Podcasts going off, off topic? We will stay I've on topic. I've never heard of a podcast going off topic. No. But anyway, with weird steering wheels, I'm a connoisseur of them. I collect, like, all of my cars have something goofy going on at the steering wheel. What What are... Do you have any cars with weird steering wheels, or do you just do normal steering wheels and cool well, cars? I, I, the oddities of my steering wheels are basically just the nascent age of airbags that kind of manipulate the shape. So they're not really that strange. Um, I oh, buy... Oh, it looks like a throw, a throw pillow, like, staples yeah, in the front of the car. So my 1992 yeah. BMW 850i six-speed was, you know, a 92. It had a single driver-side steering wheel airbag. It was the year before they it took away one of your two glove boxes <laughs> to give you another airbag. Anyway... <laughs> Again, that's another story. I could go on for a long time. But yeah, BMW, <laughs> they couldn't figure out how to make a color roundel on the steering wheel and have an airbag because of how it blows apart and they couldn't stain the plastic. So all early airbag cars until 1995 when BMW had a black, stamped. just a monochromatic stamped plastic roundel. roundel. So what wow. I did is I found a steering wheel out of a right-hand drive Euro E36, I think it's like a 97 323i Sport. From okay. my buddy That's Neil. That's a really exact car that you would have to like. Yeah, it, they were sold in the 23 and the 28s, but I think they were unique steering wheel for those. Okay. Leather wrapped. It's like a, a triangle shape. It's a really small, nice airbag with a color round L. It just it fits the aesthetic of the car really yeah. well. So when I've got the quirky steering wheels, I mean, even like the 355, that's got a really, it looks like a Momo like an early 90s Momo video game console steering yes, wheel. Yes, that's exactly what your Ferrari steering wheel looks like. Exactly. It is exactly But, I mean, correct. it has an airbag in it, and that's why, like, the the, uh, the prancing horse, yeah. Oh, it, it's weird. not in the center of the bag pad either, so when you're rotating the wheel quickly, it's like it's it's like a random orbital almost. <laughs> Except it stays stationary, so if that was, like, a Rolls-Royce center cab where it just stood up and down, which is a great idea, they should have done that. Yes, they should have. <laughs> Just like a spinner. (laughs) Maybe that's something we can investigate a little bit later. But no, most of my cars, I mean, the E30 M3s, I guess the one I have left is that 91. So that was a factory airbag car. Basically the same steering wheel as the 850. So same issue. God. It doesn't have one anymore. It's got an Alcantara MTEC 2 in it. Yeah, it's just like that would totally spoil the car. No, I mean, I'm a connoisseur of steering wheels. I like a good, you know, a couple of thumb rings, not too thick, not too skinny. Like the steering wheel, Mr. Wags, is the bananas. I'll show you the steering wheel I got my Subaru. I got a uh, 1986 Subaru GL10. Is it the single spoker? Uh, no, it's not. It's not a single. So spoke. it's not it's a not Citroen DS. Yeah, no, it's not. Uh, no, but it is a. It, you have to kind of imagine this. So the center portion is like a perfect square, about like three inches by like four inches. Sure. Almost perfect square, I guess. I just say it's a rectangle. <laughs> but then you have one spoke that goes straight down, and then the other one. Oh, I know what you're talking about. It goes straight about. down. It goes straight left, so it's at a right angle. Yeah. It is awesome. Yeah. But I know. then it has this weird. So like, so you don't drive with your hands at like nine o'clock and six o'clock because that'd yeah. just be ludicrous. Yeah. They give you a little a thumb. thumb. There's a little yeah. thumb thing thumb at like three o'clock, and it's actually like really comfy. <laughs> it, it goes along perfectly with the optional digi dash. Oh yeah, I got the digital <laughs> dashboard. So uh, Subaru back in like the eighties, they, they're kind of like the kings of like over designing for the era because sure. you know they're kind of like, you know, like how Maserati Those really embraced the 1980s and the well, 1980s yeah no they did and then like in the 90s they super embraced the 90s and then they like embraced the hell out of the 2000s and that whole like 
after pedestrian safety thing like became a thing like in the late 20 late rank 2008 2010 yeah then every subaru got absolutely butt ugly they're just the worst looking vehicle in the world see i kind of disagree with you i think in like 2006 or whenever they introduced the first anteater nose is when they got really ugly to me see that's that was ugly but it was a whole other world if you saw like a if did you, you oh, hold on did you just say a whole nother whole other world thank you yeah oh yeah you're a grammar nazi Yes. Anyway, so that will be a, p- a good portion of this podcast, is you correcting my grammar. Perfect. I will also do it to <laughs> guests, so don't feel singled out. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. I'm not editing any of this crap out, so... So, all right, ba- back on topic, on to my sure, Subaru, sure. so we can just kind of carry on here. Um, pedestrian safety. Yes, well, no, the pedestrian safety one is... Those ones is like 20... Is that the B9 like Tribeca? 20, no, it was like right after the Tribeca. I think mm-hmm. it was like about a 2012 or so Legacy. Okay. Like the last generation Legacy GT yeah. was... I'm going to put that in probably the top 20 at least attractive cars of all time. Which is weird because they took it from probably, I think, one of the most attractive Subarus ever. Yeah, and they just sullied all of it. It yeah. just it went horribly wrong in the worst way possible. Subaru has made some questionable decisions. No, they have. I mean, really. I mean, my car is... Definitely the most loved or hated design they made of the 80s. Uh, if you have ever, if, if you don't know what GL10 is, if you watch National Lampoon's Family Vacation and you look at the Griswold family truckster, you just get that, take the wood paneling off and paint it black, and that's basically what mine looks like. It is well, designed with a ruler. Run through like 70%. Yes, that's true. <laughs> it's, it was completely designed with the right angle. Uh, just as the single design element. There are no curves anywhere. I did you, say that last Thursday, too. Yes. If you had a design inspiration room, it would just have a ruler. It, 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 <laughs> it is how I would design a car. I think it's a beautiful car. My list of beautiful cars also includes the Lamborghini Countach, that the later is, model ones, like which are yeah, on mm. the same, uh, they're on the same level. Like just also perfectly a car with angled. pop-up headlights. Yes, yeah, so I'm true. seeing a pattern here. Yeah, so actually my GL10 doesn't have pop-ups. Uh, the mm. XT6 and the XT is... Is that a retrofit item or no? You know, I thought about it, and it wouldn't be hard, because you would just... It, they have, like, five tack welds to hold on the entire front end, I think. And sure. you just, like, weld one on. <laughs> but then it would just look really ugly. It looked like... Uh, what was that uh, Lotus hatchback they made Oh, in the that, 70s? Uh, Europa. No, not the Europa. The hatchback. The Elite. The Lotus Elite. I don't know if I've even seen that. Oh my god! I need to. I, I will Google. Yeah, it. Forgive you need my to Google this. You need to Google this to understand what I'm talking about. Oh wow! That's basically what oh, it looks wow. like. So I decided not to do that. <laughs> that 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 is any that's a a Ropa shooting break. I mean, that's really great. It sounds great in com in in like like and that's think the thing. About that's it. a form factor vehicle that I typically love. Yeah, no, that's everything I love. Like if you made a list of things that I love in a car, super angular everything. Flip up headlights, hatch in the back. Like v, uh, I think it was a, a dual rig cam four cylinder with I'm side sure drive carburetors. F- yeah, twin cam. Yeah, like that's a list of things I like. But on that car, they were the most poorly in- implemented list of things ever. 160 horsepower. That's not bad for no, like 1976. Five speed manual. All right, so it performs this was reasonably. A very high end vehicle back in the day. Yeah, 1974 but it, it, to 1983. Yeah, but it's about as unattractive as a oh, stuffed really Blackhawk. Yeah, yeah. yeah um, it looks like a British Leyland product for sure. It really does. But anyway, so 
on my GL10, <laughs> I decided to keep the normal front end. And sure. that car was all-wheel drive, turbocharged with air suspension, a digital dashboard, like every single gimmick you could have in the 80s. And so far, almost all of them are broken. The digital dashboard is actually perfectly reliable, shockingly. So far. But that's the only thing on that car is reliable. Yeah, knock on wood. Um, I, can, I can do that. I actually, yeah, we do have a wood table here. It's lovely. It's a very nice wood table. But I have, um, when, I had, when, I got, when I got the car, I'm like, all right, cool, one day I'm going to rebuild it. And I eventually came across a brand new engine for it. It had like 30,000 miles put on it. Was it actually from a, a it was from car? It was from a GL10. Nice. Turns out between 86 and 87, they completely changed around every piece of the wiring harness for no reason at all. So oh. it took me about a winter's worth of moving wires around and making things work, only to find out that the fuel injector um, and the whole fuel delivery portion of the wiring harness mm -hmm. is completely corroded from connector all the way to like so chassis like connector. Underneath the jacketing, all the way through. All the way through, just just like spots and like cracks and the. So it's either spend the rest of my life rebuilding this wiring harness, which does not sound that bad if you're thinking of a 90s Honda, but no, this is a 80s Subaru or just an 80s car at all with electronic fuel injection, yeah. which is basically like trying to rewire the interior of like a modern Jetta. It's just a nightmare. And they just do the most ridiculous things on that. So I've actually decided to take the turbocharger and put that in the dumpster and take the whole fuel injection system, put that in the dumpster with it. Now, is that electronic fuel injection or is it mechanical? It is, it's electronic. If, okay. it was, if it was mechanical, it'd be fine. Uh, Which we I can also, do another episode on CIS. We'll have trig on. Yeah, that's true. It, I mean, that's the thing is like, I now understand why they did CIS in the 80s because at that point. Yeah, it was probably that, still a more reliable technology. It was a weird era in which a more ridiculously complex mechanical nightmare would be still better than having to deal with limitations in 1980s computers. Right. But anyway, so that's all going off, and I'm putting in a couple of Weber IDXs and, uh, or IDFs, I'm sorry. What's IDX. the static compression on that engine? That engine is 9.5 to 1. It's not bad. It's, it's pretty low. But it is, is, but for that, NA, that's fine. The, um, the NA one, the NA engine had a little bit higher compression ratio, but, you know, even with that turbocharger, we're talking... 11 horsepower added so i'm going from like 100 to 110 111 maybe well seeing as we're not at altitude i don't think that's going to be too big a deal and plus it the car is i don't care how fast it goes that car's terrifying at 70 miles an hour regardless of how much power i have i understand i drove my boss's 57 corvette from roseville to blaine which is about 15 miles yeah, and, and that, I bet that was the most terrifying, like, 200 horsepower I've ever felt in your life. Well, I, I put EFI on it, and it's a pretty stout 331 with a cam. So, I mean, it, it makes plenty of power, but, I, yeah, I, I'd never leaned into it because it's, I mean, it's, it's horrifying going 25 miles an hour straight. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, mine, uh, these cars were never designed to be anything other than, like, taking the kids to, like, school cars, right. and then driving it in anger is... You get more. You get more out of driving that car in anger at 70 miles an hour than you get out of a Countach going 150. Oh, for sure. That's oh, all the. It, it that's is, the slow car fast thing. Is a, it is a definition of the slow car fast, and yeah. So 
That's what my project is. It is just me being a masochist. And if I knew any better, I would just go buy myself a 2.5 RS or something. What are you working on? Well, we need always. to get off the topic of my horrible A car. lot of stuff. I kind of want to touch on something I hadn't planned on, but my Boxster, first off, because I, I had to change out the engine on that thing. Really? Whether, yeah. Oh, yeah, you did. Yeah, because you blew it up. I sent it, in, yeah. In a fantastic, glorious cloud of coolant. No, it oh, wasn't cool? all what failed was inside. No, oh, it was no external damage. I thought you windowed it. Nope. No, in fact, I just sold the core engine. It was still worth $800, so... To who? <laughs> Some guy on eBay. I don't know. I have to ship it. I have to get it. Pay. Anyway, so I, I bought a 2001 Boxster S engine, 3.2 liter M96, exactly the same. Mm -hmm. My car is a 2000, an early build 2000. Engine is indeed the same. Sensors, same. Yeah. But I bought a complete fully dressed engine with accessories. I'm like, oh, sweet. I'll just bolt this thing in. No problem. Goes in, oh, super no. nice. Get everything plumbed in, wired, all that stuff. I start the car. The red overheat LED in the gauge cluster is flashing and the temp is pinned all the way to the top. I'm just like, what? It was a broken sensor, I imagine. No. So what I did is I looked through my photos because I take tons of photos and I looked through the YouTube video too since I took See, a couple of segments I'm, of I'm not that clever. I don't take photos. Well, you should because it saves you a lot of headache. I but should. You're right. What I found was the 2000 was the only like six month production run for the S that used the original Boxster like gauge cluster layout <laughs> and it had a dual sender in it. So it had one sender that put out the signal to the ECU or the yeah. DME and then it had another signal coming from the same sensor. So a four wire plug that went to the gauge cluster. And what I had put in the car was a 2001 engine which had one signal and it went to the ECU, and it ran a higher-tech cluster that could actually just pull the temp signal straight from oh the computer. So what I had to end up doing is calling the Porsche dealer, because I couldn't find this plug online, which is saying something, because I'm pretty good at that. I paid them $18 for this little plastic plug and pins. That sounds reasonable for a German And honestly, it was actually, way I mean, better for, than I thought it was going to be. If you compare that to like what that car was competing against yeah. when it was new, that's actually reasonable money. That's basically and again, Volkswagen price. Right. You buy a used Porsche, you're still going to be paying new Porsche prices for parts, essentially. That's yeah. what it is. So yeah, it's one Bosch plug. It is no big deal. So I've had to wire that in. Luckily, I found tracing and destroying, mind you, the old <laughs> engine harness, which hopefully nobody else wanted. <laughs> Because it is completely useless now. Uh, I was able to trace it and find it and splice it in. So that's done. But yeah, I, I totally can understand when you get an engine that is even I, a couple months of production off. I don't off. get it. Like, what do you gain from that? <laughs> and again, that, I mean, it's just transitioning from the old cluster to the new cluster in well, 2000, you, 2001, which is why it had this change. That's what that one, like, all right, so to preface this, we should kind of talk about our backgrounds here because you come from a totally different automotive background than I do. Yeah. Like, when we were growing up, I was in, like, Hondas and street racing. And so I'm like, all right, cool. Well, I was in Toyotas and watching street oh, racing. Oh, yeah, once. Like, you had, like, you had, all right, you had two MR2s. I drove MR2s. the MR2 all the way through high school. And you also had your Mercedes. I did have my turbo diesel Mercedes. And then all those other and ones behind your garage. ACL and, like, five E30s. You see, this is what I'm talking about, different automotive fine, backgrounds. Fine. I, on the other hand, have a CB Accord. Oh, like yeah. A CB. Boris. Yeah, it bores, it, I named it Boris Yeltsin because it had a terrible attitude. It only started when it wanted to, and it had a horrible fuel economy. Tell the lovely people who Boris Yeltsin was. Boris Yeltsin was the drunk ex-president of Russia prior to Putin, who actually was very surly as well, just like my Accord. So, 
Yeah, anyway, I come from a background of Hondas, where I can just, like, go, all right, let me just grab this engine out of this, like, 2001 Prelude. Let me just go grab this 91 Honda Civic. Let me go grab... Yeah, you know, and then let me just make this one bracket, and boom, it all fits together. Look how great this is. And I just have to plug it in, and it starts on the first try. Mm -hmm. Whereas, like... You well, have yeah. just like I, you have, I did what Porsche you, did with the 911. I engineer around the problem <laughs> instead of fixing it. Yeah, that, that, that's not just uh, Porsche. Uh, that, that is called Volkswagen. Oh my word! We'll have an entire conversation about the 2.0 T oh, FSI yeah. engines and the TSI and the TSI and frankly every Volkswagen. But we will never period. talk about Dieselgate because who cares? No, you're right on, because Dieselgate wasn't nearly as big. The diesels are still awesome. That's yes, all they're still great. Well, it wasn't even that big of a deal. It wasn't no. even that gross as what they've done with those two OTs. Exactly. We'll do it in the future, yes. though. But anyway, the current stuff I'm actually working on, I'll start with the things that are actually here at the Motorplex. Uh, first one being the Hunicorn 4.0, mm-hmm. the 97 BMW 540 I bought with a grenaded automatic transmission. <laughs> and then on the same day, six-speed swapped it and then drove it home. Uh, and then proceeded to fix up a whole bunch of stuff on it because it's actually becoming a nice car, which is unfortunate. I mean, the thing was $400. I didn't expect it to be in nice shape, but the body's pretty clean, the interior's nice, the engine's actually pretty solid. But you know, it's had it's problems. It's funny how that happens, where it, you, you get a car a for like nothing, and then you, you do like one thing, you look at it, you know? I know. It's actually kind of nice. And the problem is like most of the parts for that thing at least the issues are actually pretty cheap so like oh it's only 20 bucks i guess i'll fix this problem <laughs> and then you end up fixing four or five things and you're like well it's all right it's a pretty nice car so i guess i'll spend 50 60 dollars on these parts and it just snowballs and now right now it's getting coilovers like why the hell am i doing this <laughs> like, have you seen the wheels i put on it they're like 19 by 9 19 by 10 and a half bbs lm i guess the replicas but they've got like bridgestone you, positions you, you basically have the bmw equivalent of when like somebody buys a crappy eg civic for like a, a winter beater sure and then they're like oh man you know what this car i, I could just put in these like power windows or something <laughs> and then well, let me just put some coilovers on it and then suddenly you have a eg civic made of rust with bbs rs's and like That's kw coilovers shell swapping yeah <laughs> and, then, and then it just it snowballs and then you end up having an actual project right That's yeah how i end up with my five cars that is a big part of how I end up with so many cars too. <laughs> but a lot of it is, I'm like, I I used to be a parts dealer, a German parts dealer for a lot of years. So I still have all my connections. I still have my you know, ways and channels of getting all these parts. And I find parts for cars that I don't own. But I'm pretty sure I will at some point, or I know people that do own them, so I'll buy these parts, like ABS wheel speed sensors, idle valves, just like things that I know are common issues on these cars, even if I don't own the car. And some of these parts will sit in my warehouse, which is my basement, for, you know, two, three, four years. But, like, when I bought the 540, I'm like, oh, the left rear wheel speed sensor is dead. Do I have one? Actually, yeah, I do. So that means I'm not the only person that begins looking for a car because you found a really cool part. Yeah, that has happened to me. Usually I do it the other way around, but there have been times where I've bought... I mean, I wasn't anticipating buying any 39 540 because I hate V8 BMWs. But that is the really? one. Yeah, they're terrible cars. You, you've owned an abundance of them, though, haven't well, you? They've all been part of it, except for this one. I guess uh, you... the V12 BMW is what you're thinking of, probably. And that's actually very reliable, which is counterintuitive. You would think. Because the general public assumes that the V12 is terrible because it has three or four computers, depending yeah, on if you have an auto or a manual. That, that's exactly what and I assume. one. 
But no, it's the opposite. The V12 is it's built on 70s technology. It's proven. It's very, very solid. That makes sense. When you think about when you think about that way, that makes sense. Right. And the V8 was like cutting edge. I mean, it was the first car to have a molded plastic intake manifold. Right. It was like it had direct electronic ignition. It had multi-port fuel injection from Bosch, which is really reliable. And then uh, yeah, all aluminum, right and then coated cylinder walls, really, really nice twin cam cylinder heads that flowed really, really well. And they were efficient. They were really light. But what they didn't quite figure out, I mean, that engine architecture started in 93. And these things were designed and engineered in Germany, where they have good quality fuel. Yeah. In the 1990s, we had pretty high sulfur content in our regular gasoline at our premium. And they were coated, the cylinder walls were coated with uh, Nicosil which is a really, really high-tech, really hard substance that the aluminum is sprayed with, basically, and then cured. Yeah. And that's how they do aluminum engines without cylinder liners or steel blocks. And the sulfur reacted and just took it away. So these piston rings were just, like, gushing oil and fuel back and forth in these, like, hundreds and hundreds of warranty claims with these 530s and 540s, (laughs) 740s, 840s coming in and getting full long blocks from BMW, just, like... No questions right. asked, engine replacements. Yeah, so mid-1995, they completely switched over to the Alusil, which is what they used on these, and that's what they've continued to use as time goes on. Okay. And those are actually pretty reliable. So if you can find a replaced 93 to 95, you're golden. If you can find a 95 and a half, you know, if I, if I avoid, if I can ever just avoid don't buy it. Just do Yeah. That's the easy way to as do it. As I say, I, if I can avoid it, I'm just going to avoid that engine outright. Yeah, you should. Because the straight sixes are great. They're so much better. Their 12 cylinders are fantastic. The 12 cylinders are way too much work for me coming from a background of Japanese cars. Yes. So the straight six is the one I go for. I'm Plus, the guy that bought a Ferrari that needed a service and then did it himself. If that 850 needed intake gaskets, I'd take it to a shop. That should tell you how bad that job is. That is shockingly horrible. That is really I had bad. one of those engines out on a stand, and it took me two and a half hours to pull the intake manifolds off. On the on, on that? On a V12. Oh, my God. oh wait. A BMW V12. I had huh. one out of a parts car. I was curious. Yeah. How, how is that more complicated? Uh, you can't get it half the fasteners at all. So it was just designed to not be serviced Basically, ever. the process is there is a you know, the water pump on the front, and then there's a distribution piece in the back that trans, you know, flows coolant between the two. Let me guess that distribution piece is plastic. No, it's all aluminum. That's fantastic. fantastic. There's an O-ring aluminum Volkswagen. If that was a Volkswagen, oh, would that would be for sure. it would absolutely thin plastic. plastic. Thin plastic that is totally reactive to coolant. And it would be gasketed instead of O-ringed if it was a Volkswagen as well. Uh, yes, it would be. And that gasket would be made of, car- of cork. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it would. <laughs> but no, right, in order continue. to do it, I'll just touch on this briefly because it doesn't matter for the vast majority of people. Um, you have to pull the water pump, pull this large O-ringed aluminum tube out, and then you have to reach your hand in between two intertwined, like Chinese finger trap intake manifolds with a tiny wrench, and you have to do 16th of a turn at a time on all these fasteners. You guys could, I'm not sure if you could audibly hear me shake my head and rub the temples of my head and sigh because it's a little far he away from... Perturbed. Because it's rather far away from my microphone, but that sounds like the worst nightmare. So anyway, Earth. the 540 is terrible. That one's actually pretty okay, but I don't care about that car, and I'm going to sell it. Uh, what I do care about that I'm working on is my 1967 BMW 1602 it, roundy. That is, yes, I was going to say, it's got the round taillights, which are just objectively better. That is exactly. a properly it's, it's just a good fact. car. There's, there's how, no debating it. How, so you, you want to, how, how are, do they drive as good as they're said to have drive? To drive? 
I can only speculate at this point. <laughs> You've been tripping it. No, I picked so, it up last June. So you're just like, you know what? I want this scarf. It's going to happen. Let's make this happen. I will do Basically, what it takes. I fell in love with them uh, with pictures and just like people that I knew that owned them. And I've been around these cars forever. But I saw the prices starting to shoot up. And unlike the 30M3, which I got in before this started to happen, I wasn't yeah, so lucky. you got lucky on that. Ready. Well, I did. I bought the wrong yeah, car at the time. You, you have plenty of time. On that Randy. Plus, it's a 16. It's not the 2000. The 2000. Right. Everyone calls so. it a 2002 or an 02. Even I do sometimes, just for the ease of people not understanding what it is that I have. Well, yeah, no, I don't. It, it, it makes sense. It's, I don't call me Civic. Right. It's a 2002 with a 1.6. It's, it's an EF Civic. Right. And then, yeah, like once every now and then I'll get some really, really ass behind it. could go, actually, that's not a Civic SIR. But, you know, that's kind of their problem, not mine. I just exactly. say that. The simplify for everyone. Makes exactly. sense. Yeah. There's a lot of things in this world that we just, <laughs> you we just put different it. names on them because it's pretty much correct and it's easy. Yeah. And we More just accept less. it. That's yeah. fine. That's what a exactly. 1600 is. Mine, since its uh, first six months production, it was made in February of 1967. Wow. And delivered July 4, 1967 <laughs> in New Jersey. <laughs> Yeah. So it's made of toxic waste, and it's probably it super fun in and of itself. Yeah. So it was, yeah, it was delivered on Independence Day 1967 in New Jersey. It was Polaris Silver Metallic. Now it's black. The most American thing you can do is buy a German car. Basically. <laughs> anyway, this was a first half 67 build. This car was brand new, super cool. Um, what well, I didn't know when I was shopping. It would be good for the values. Or, it so, would. Yeah. If I retained the six volt electrical system oh, and nope, the original, nope, nope. oh, let me explain the braking system on this car oh, to you. God, so the later, all cables. the 2002s, no, <laughs> it's, it's not a Ford Model A, thank goodness. Um, Rear drum only. No, I mean most brake systems are you push a pedal, there's a plunger, it goes to a master or a booster, and then it goes to a master cylinder, and yeah. that's so your brake force gets distributed. No, yeah. not on a 1600. So the pedal box is bolted to the back side of the floor, basically, okay. and that has a master cylinder straight on it. A hydraulic master cylinder connected straight to your pedal. What that does is it sends all of the fluid to a slave cylinder mounted on your brake booster. But the slave cylinder has another chamber, which is also a master cylinder. Yeah, what let me let that set in. This is so stupid. Nothing. I have no idea where the system came from, who thought it up, I, or why they thought it was you a You know what idea. I wonder? I wonder if there was some like really weird base model in Europe that did not have power brakes. And that's just why you have that weird system. That could be. Maybe they engineered it thinking that a you know a non-assist master would be enough for a car that light. And yeah. then they sold it to the American market like these people are not going to understand how non-power brakes work. So they adapted something so, around it. Exactly. There's no room. Yeah, maybe. There's no room on the pedal box for a booster. Well, I mean, like at that at that point in time, you had non-power brakes in oh, cars sure. still. Absolutely. But, and it would have been fine, surely, in that car to not yeah. have power brakes. But I, I think w with that car and BMW, you know, even in that era, they were like a little bit better. That wasn't when they were like full. Oh, look at us. We're BMW. We're super luxury. Right. It was like that was. They were driving they were, machines. They were yeah, they were driving cars. Yeah, cars, and I yeah. think that's that, that makes sense. They're just trying to make it a little bit better for the American market. And that, that's as good an explanation as I've ever heard, because yeah. there's no information on these. You can't get seal kits for them, no, nothing. <laughs> of course not. <laughs> I would have probably rebuilt it and left it in if I could, but what I ended up doing is buying a system out of like a 71, 2002, which is they put a little fulcrum on the backside of the pedal, they push the lever up, 
to the front of the firewall. And then there's another fulcrum piece, which translates that force so, again forward. So you forward. mean that ridiculous system that you previously Correct. described was only on, like, the first, like, 15 cars. Yeah. Until somebody That's said, wait, this is a terrible idea. Not to mention very costly. I mean, these parts could not have been cheap. <laughs> no. And mine were all in fabulous shape. I mean, the car is completely rust-free. Wasn't this the car that saved BMW? Uh, I think the 2002 technically was, but yeah. I mean, so, this is the but, one I mean, I mean still, it was, yeah. like, it was the same It's an E10 BMW. Kind of yeah, that E10 is BMW. That's the car. So... So really, they unless the, that, that one guy said, you know what, let's not do the brake system this way, BMW could have been sunk. So actually, God bless that guy, because that guy gave us some of the best cars I'm not sure ever. there's causation there, even though there's for sure correlation. I think it's causation. Okay, fine. We can go we with that. We need to find this guy. Put that on the list of I don't people. want to talk to him ever. <laughs> I'm going to throw the old master slave with the booster at him if I see him. And he's probably an old guy. So well, no, I said, I said the, guy that, the, the guy that said this is a terrible idea. Oh. Yeah. No, no. The so guy the guy that engineered the system that I'm putting in currently. Correct. Yeah, because oh. the guy that put that original one in should be shot. Yeah, okay. He probably is already dead. I mean, that car was released 50 years ago. <laughs> yeah, and unless, so unless that guy was in his like, 20s or right. maybe early 30s, is probably correct by now. Yeah, and he... <laughs> You know, people from that era in Germany probably wouldn't get along so well with you. Mm. <laughs> yeah, so maybe maybe we won't do that. <laughs> but anyway, I finally got the last fulcrum piece, the upper motion vector changer piece from a, a specific salvage yard in California last week. So after I replace the piece of hardline that I destroyed with a new flared piece, I should be able to actually get brakes working on that car. But, oh, was that was that fun? Uh, Replacing the hardline. I haven't every time done I've, it yet. Okay, every time I've done it, it's just no hardline is the worst. I, I mean, absolutely detest it. Nobody makes, in my opinion, a really good quality brake hardline flaring tool. Mm. I mean, I've tried like Blue Point. I've tried Snap On. I think the inline kits actually work a little bit better. I've done a few, but I haven't done for brakes. I've done for like weird things. Mm -hmm. But every time I do it, oh, me too, man. Every Replace time, this mini split. Oh, sure. Yeah. It, yeah. It's every time I ever, every time I've ever done it, I'm like, wow, thank God it's not going in my braking system because I do not trust that. I have no faith in it. <laughs> yeah, there's certain parts of the car that I still don't really trust myself with. I mean, for the most part, I'm good these days. But like the main one is like lug bolts. I'm like, I go for a test drive. I'm like, did I tighten these? <laughs> and the majority of the though. time is a no. No, I didn't. You know, the, the thing is, I'm pretty sure everybody does that because the only people that would just go with their leg bolts, call the day, and say, I'm pretty sure I got them on right. Those are, like, the ultimate people I like to live dangerously. I think yeah. fighter pilots are the only people that do that. Oh, man. <laughs> I hope there aren't any lug bolts like, on planes. <laughs> like, Maverick and Goose from Top Gun are the only two people that don't double-check their lug bolts or lug nuts. Like, those are the only two people on Earth. <laughs> I hope they have a crew doing that. <laughs> Not themselves? Uh, well, I mean, aircraft uses safety wire and all that kind of stuff, so... I think they they're probably okay, but if if they ever come around and want to work on the sixteen hundred, I'll probably politely decline. I don't think they do their own stunts, if you know no. what I mean. <laughs> I don't think Tom Cruise does his own stunts. Val Kilmer, maybe. I sure, hope Val Kilmer is okay. Wait, no, wait. Goose wasn't Val Kilmer. Who played Goose in Top Gun? I have no idea. I have it on Laserdisc, but we haven't watched it yet. Why have we not watched that? I don't know. We're doing RoboCop this week. Better. That's awesome. <laughs> I'll see that dude get melted. I also want to see the, the six thousand SUX. I actually want to talk about a different future car. Hmm. But one that's actually coming out. Oh, Toyota Corolla. That, that, Don't give me that look. No, I want to talk that about car is out. Two thousand. Well, it is because yeah, it's fine. been out. It's been out since nineteen. Well, about nineteen sixty-seven. But yeah. I'm talking about a two thousand nineteen release. Okay. And I want to talk about the hatchback. I want to talk Ooh, about the sedan. Are we getting that? We are. 
And more importantly, guess what the standard equipment manual? Ah, oh, shit. Guess what Shut the standard equipment transmission is? A manual? Yeah, it's a six-speed manual. Is, you don't have to like, get some weird trim level like you do. No, in you don't have to get the opt like the buy-down option. No, it's like on like the XLE only. Just like one trim level, you can right. get it on these. Days. And Toyota's almost always done the manual transmissions associated with a trim level, but usually it's been yeah. the garbage trim or sometimes the mediocre trim. But yeah. no, this one they're letting you pretty much equip it however you want. Oh, and still God. get the manual transmission, which is great. Because the current Corolla, the sedan, when it actually came out, I'm like, yeah, okay, it's fine. I mean, it's a Corolla. It's not interesting. But no, like standard LED headlights, like that's kind of cool. And like the thing doesn't look completely disgusting. So fine. It's probably going to drive fine. Well, you know, the, all right. So hang on, hang on. I'm going to stop right there. Because okay. also the Toyota Camry looks amazing. But you know that's the definition of an appliance. So. But... The current Toyota Camry, I assume you're talking about the new one. Yeah, the current It looks one. great in top spec. In oh, base yes. Spec, it the looks... base spec, it looks like a taxi cab. It is yeah. atrocious. It is. it is a taxi cab. It is. Yes. Oh, it's awful. Yeah, the XLE V6 with the quad exit exhaust and stuff. But it actually looks, looks like, I see good. that driving around. And, and like, honestly, looks cool. every time I've driven an appliance, Honda or Toyota, like one of the volume cars, an Accord, a Camry, yeah. I'm like, you know what? This really, truly is fine. Yeah, it, it's, it's not, not like standout. Like I don't want bad. to own one of these, but like every time I drive it, I'm like, you know what? This actually is is pretty good. You know, I've been. You know, Jalopnik does that Mac Car Monday thing. I haven't looked at Jalopnik in years. Well, anyway, I, I read it sometimes when I poo. Sure. But, um, That's a good iPad website. It is a great iPad. It's actually I'm pretty sure it's optimized for iPads. <laughs> <laughs> I, will, but, I will investigate further later. <laughs> you know, they do this thing. Uh, Jason Torshensky does this thing called Mac Car Mondays, where he talks sure. about cars that aren't objectively bad, sure, and cars that aren't objectively good. These are the meh cars. Sure, absolutely. Because the cars are objectively bad. Yeah. They succeed in being bad. When you buy a Yugo, that's actually kind of an exciting car to drive because you feel like you're going to die. It's the same feeling you get, you know, taking a Miata on the PCH. It's sure. fun. But if you get good cars, it's the same thing. Meh cars are just the absolute worst cars on earth. I'm talking Because like, they don't have a quality that makes them worth buying? Well, no. It's because the quality is perfectly fine. It's, like, the closest thing you can get to purgatory without dying. For sure. So, cars like the Chevy Lumina. Yeah. See, not objectively bad for the era. It's just a bad car because it was so boring. It's so boring. The W or, platform GM. Or the uh, another oh. W platform, the Malibu. Uh. But I'm not going to rag on GM only because, I mean, Honda, Toyota, everybody's made those cars. I mean... Yeah, but you look at a 96 Lumina, and you look at a 96 Camry, or a 96 Accord. Oh, yeah, no, that's the, the, that car is what we call a special financing car in the dealer business. It's a car that depreciates so fast that you can get a loan for under five or under $5,000 before the car is 10 years old. Welcome to subprime automobiles. <laughs> exactly. But anyway, so I guess since you wanted to talk about the Corolla, and since you said it has a, a manual, yeah, it, does it does not fall in that meh car I category. Would, well, I agree. I mean, and the fact, like, the thumbnail I saw on whatever website I was scrolling through and I was probably in the bathroom on my iPad, it had, like, a roof rack, and it was painted a metallic blue, and it had nice wheels. I'm like, That actually sounds kind of cool. Yeah. yeah. I, I first honestly thought it was, like, a Kia Forte 5 or something, because Kia's design team is, you know, former Audi people, so yes. they're making good-looking stuff. And, and this their, entire marketing team, good. their entire marketing team is all old Mitsubishi too but exactly anyway. and their performance division is all old M car people from BMW so like 
That's we should, a great team. We should be doing a Kia episode in the future at some point, too, actually, because it's interesting where they're going. But, yeah, no, I saw this. I haven't seen the back of the car yet to know if it actually looks good. But I love hatchbacks and wagons. Yes. Because they're practical. They're awesome. You know what? Six-speed manual. I awesome. think... I feel like I saw the back end of that car on, like, the Top Gear website or something. <laughs> oh, the other day. Every now and then, I'll just kind of scroll through the internet. and well, hopefully like, take some cues from the camera. Yeah. I think, if I remember, if it's the one I'm thinking of, it looks really properly good. But anyway. Honestly, stuff like that. I think about, you know, like, what if I need a, a beater I don't care about in 10 years and I want to buy something used? I'm like, oh, well, that's another option for a car that's currently available or will be yes. soon that has a manual. Actually... I would call that, that's probably going to be my daily driver in five years. I mean, why not? It, it's a great car. It's something you, know, you don't have to think about. What I think is really cool about Toyota today, um, their CEO is should be more revered. Because Akito Toyota mm-hmm. has done more for Toyota as a brand uh, than really any other. He's like the absolute antithesis of Carlos Gozen, who is like, ugh. I, he bothers me. He's Who a necessary. Carl Skosen. Carl Skosen is uh, Renault. It goes in G H O S N. Okay. Right. He's uh, Renault Nissan. Oh, I want to touch on that actually. Renault, they're coming back, aren't they, to this market? They might be. Yes. Because Corey was out out west, and he's he was behind like a, a Renault with manufactured plates. That I don't think was coming to America. That might have just made some way from Canada. Cause they I might be just powertrain testing or something. Maybe. But it, it, but it didn't have Canadian plates on it. It had manufacturer plates on it. Ooh, I like that. So, we'll see. Anyway, sorry, I didn't mean to tangent there, but I, I've been hearing rumors about Renault potentially coming. I would absolutely buy a Renault. I know. I, it, you can give me any Renault. It will be an automatic corporate V6, and I'll be like, it's a Renault. Oh, Renault Laguna. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Corey, uh, he's actually sitting next to us. He's in your sound engineering. Oh, it's a Renault Influenza. <laughs> that's what that is. Are, are you positive that's actually the name? They called it a... F- <laughs> okay, that's for a, those listening, it's actually that, a Renault Fluence. Yeah, in the Renault Influenza. <laughs> Renault Influenza. Maybe Baja the... California. Oh, man. Oh, it is Mexican. Oh, dang it. Thanks, well, Corey. I had my hopes up. I thought it was a manufacturer plate. Clearly, that was my fault for not researching enough. No, it's all and Corey's And that probably fault. didn't have a manual us. in it. Anyway, so, okay, going back to the, the 2019 Corolla, I should, we should probably try to keep it in the next 15 minutes or something. But I want to know how companies like that decide to still give us a manual. Because, by and large, I guess the people that buy a cheaper practical car are probably the people... The one demographic that's still left that can afford to buy a new car and still wants a manual for the reasons of being fun to drive. Because I know BMW, I talked to one of their people at the North Star get-together over the winter. Mm-hmm. They're one of their marketing guys. And he's like, the reason why we're not putting them in anymore is honestly the carbon credits for CAFE. Because the 8-speed is like half the CO2 output of the 6-speed car. Yeah, that makes well, sense. I'm like, well, A, I don't care. Some more I3s and give me more manuals. Yeah, And exactly. B, like, I kind of get it. But they're, I mean, we're not alone here. We're definitely the minority, the people that prefer the manual just because we enjoy driving. You, you know, when I was, uh, about a year ago, I was selling cars, because I've kind of done a little bit of hodgepodge of everything in the automotive world. When I was selling cars, I was selling Subarus, and I sold I'm for... i to hear this. Yeah, I know, right? But I sold for a little over a year, I think, and... Almost one to two cars per month, I'd be getting somebody that wants a Subaru Outback base model 
with the manual transmission. Subaru buyers are usually either, you know, vape bros or geologists. Geologists or the most frugal people on earth. Um, as long as they can order that little badge to put on their tailgate with how many Subarus they've owned, how many miles are on it, how many marathons they've done. They actually have some cool ones, right? They've got like how many rallies you've been to, and like if anyway, you like, I don't, don't actually anyway, want to talk about but, that. No, I it makes me. Sad, I actually I lost out on probably about somewhere between eleven and thirteen car sales just because you didn't have one in stock. Because they don't they don't make it. Well, they make it. I'm sorry. Yeah, they make a manual Subaru Outback yeah. four cylinder in Indiana, and they put it on a fucking train, and they train it. All the way to Canada, and I can't get one. Do you know what always got me <laughs> so in the early two thousands when the W one sixty three, the first gen ML, was on sale? Yeah, they made a two point seven liter six cylinder inline America, turbo though? diesel, and it was made in America. And we didn't get that. We could not buy it. That is so stupid. The thing did twenty nine mpg. It had more torque than the ML four thirty with the V eight. I think that whoever makes a decision like that, that a car is built in a country and not sold in that country, should be shot. I agree. It should be punishable by death. Yes. Yes, absolutely. But Sometimes you got to make the emotional no, decisions even if you're high up. But exactly. You just have to do that. You, you just, it, you know, because the thing is, I was one man, and I lost out on potentially... Now you're multiple men. Yes, now, now I am multiple. But I, I lost out on potentially 13... Car sales. Right, that's a big deal. <laughs> that's a big deal. I mean, even so, on a stripper model, I mean, there's still lots of That's a lot of stuff, cars so. to, to have moved. And the thing is, is every time I talk to somebody at Subaru Corporate, whenever I talk to one of my corporate suits that were like above me, all like my regional managers are mm-hmm. like, oh, nobody wants to buy them. And I'm like, tell me about these 11 people who I have the name and address of who Correct. said, give me a call when I can get one. Yeah. And I couldn't give them a call. So I was one man. There are thousands. Of Absolutely. car salesmen. There's thousands of potential car sales. Exactly. You're, so, yeah. yeah, you're a microcosm of that industry. Yes, I am. So, if, yeah, one, so one-fifth of America is uh, statistically drives manual. When you're talking America, you're talking the United States? Or yeah, the okay. United States. I'm sorry, the United States of America. Okay. One-fifth of the United States drives a manual transmission. So, that's 20%. Do you want to get an A or do you want to get a C on your grade? Do you want to get 80% or do you want to get 100% of your potential sales? I want to get a hundred for sure. So, and the thing is with Subaru, like all their other cars, like yeah, they get fantastic fuel economy for what they are, and most of their well, vehicles yeah. are trucks nowadays. And the Outback is literally classified as a truck now. That's why we don't have a legacy wagon because it's supposed to be a truck now. It just—it's really stupid to me. The crossover thing needs to go away. Absolutely needs to. I concur. It's just ruining the car culture. <laughs> I was actually at the auto show with my father. Uh, oh my! Yeah, that must have been an interesting. My, my father is not a car person at all, <laughs> and so he's sitting there and he looks at a Mazda three, mm-hmm. and then directly in front of the Mazda three was a CX three. Okay, and he goes, "Why do those look so alike?" And I say, "Well, a CX three is basically a three, but it sits up like two or three inches taller." And you know those coil spring just, spacers they sold at Pet Boys when you were a, a, a wee tot? That's yeah. basically what they yeah, did yeah, to the Mazda That's what I told them. They basically just lifted up a three. Um, and there were some people that were sitting there looking at, at the CX-3. Mm-hmm. My dad asked me, he goes, well, why would you want that? I'm like, I don't know. 
the only people that buy that are people that want to get in the rat race of having the commanding view of the road where you sit up a couple inches higher. I just want to be at the same level as the drive-thru. Oh, my God. No, I want to reach up. I don't care. Like, it's actually easier to pull down. Screw that, actually. I want to be on the right side of my car. Yes. pull up to the window. I want to have a lowered car and be on the opposite side and have to go in backwards, get out of my car. That sounds fantastic. Miniwag doesn't even have a sunroof, so I can't even, like, reach through the sunroof. You need to explain what you're talking about. You're talking about Brexit, right? Yeah. Brexit. Yeah, okay. When I first bought, it's a 1990 (laughs) BMW 318i Touring from Wales. That's where it was originally sold. And I bought this through a connection that imports vehicles for me stuff that's over 25 years old so it's an e30 it's wagon it's a green it's got a tan interior it had the single overhead cam 1.8 liter which we didn't even get here because it's not deemed suitable ferociously slow it was 100 horsepower it was actually a ton of fun but it wasn't it sounded terrible and just bad power delivery anyhow (laughs) i did not intend to keep it a four-cylinder so i just wanted a third pedal because right-hand drive cars have a completely different pedal set that it's it's tough to get parts for over here Mm mm-hmm Oh, weird. Oh, and we'll get on to BMW that in a second. won't let you order parts for a right-hand drive car in the states. So if I was going to order parts like that, I'd have to buy them brand new. I'd have to buy them through uh, a connection in Finland, which is very reasonable. But I mean, parts take forever, and I'm the sure part numbers email is probably just takes a month to type in because it's probably like 80 characters for his last name. Yeah, pretty much. And there's, I think there's symbols that don't exist on <laughs> uh, anyway our QWERTY <laughs> keyboards up here. But anyway, no, I found this car. It was in pretty good shape. Late model. I think all wagons are. Um, Laguna Green Metallic. No sunroof. Right-hand drive. Brought it in and then drove it for like a month maybe before I ripped the still warm four-cylinder engine and transmission <laughs> out of it. When it was sitting on the pallet in front of the car, I still couldn't touch it. It was too hot. Um, and I, I had this 98 BMW M3 engine sitting in an engine stand for two years. S53. S52. Oh, S52. So it's it's an engine only sold in the North American market for fuel concerns, which is what they said. But anyway, it's a really reliable version of a 328 engine, basically. It's bored out and stroked with bigger cams. Sounds like a great swap engine. It is. And I've done a few of these swaps before, believe it or not. Um, But this one... It's like your Snapchat name doesn't have S52 in it. I also don't use Snapchat anymore. (laughs) That's another story for another time. Um, But no, this uh, that engine in stock form is like 240 horsepower, about same in torque. Mm -hmm. Still pretty good for the um, specific output, but it had some emissions constraints on it, which brought the power down to what it was. Um, This one came out of a local friend's E36 M3 97, and it was prepped for boost. Another great car that is best used ruler. For, yes, exactly that, and just ripping the engine out and putting in something smaller and Correct. more. They angular. are best used as parts cars or track cars. Yes, they should absolutely. not be really used for anything else. No, uh, <laughs> the best honor an E36 M3 can have is to be ripped apart and donate all of its good bits to an E30. Correct. Yeah, it is so just inferior there. in every way. But anyway, I still <laughs> even keep though it it's this. better, the E30 looks so much better and it like, drives that much it better. Just, I mean, it doesn't have the sophisticated car. rear suspension that the E36 does, but every other part of the it's, car is better. It's just better. That's the thing. And people can make E30s handle now, so it's exactly it's just not that big a deal. Yeah. Um, and you talk to anyone that's owned both of those cars, the, you're not going to get one that's the says, only person that ever says that the E36 is better. Either can't afford an E30. That's usually what it is. Or has been given an E36, and it's the only vehicle they've ever driven in their life. Or they came from something American or something from the 90s, and they hopped into an E36, <laughs> and that's their only experience at BMW. So yes. yeah, they're just, it's because they don't know or they haven't lived with it, or they 
to some extent, if you're tracking your car only, I, I get it. Like yeah. if you buy no, a track car D36, I get it. Yeah, that would a, be it's a, a really great, great cheap yeah. track car. It really is. It's hard to beat it. Um, anyway, this S52 <laughs> wasn't stock. Um, yeah. It was a stock bottom end, but mm -hmm. it had a like a stage one. Well, I hate the stage term, but it's like a stage one port and polish head with a valve grind. Okay. ARP head studs. Mm -hmm. It had a CES cut ring head gasket, and it had a spacer in it to drop the compression from ten to eight and a half. And it was. Why would you drop the compression? For uh, turbocharging. Oh, oh yes, you. It, it had a precision sixty-two, sixty-two hanging off of it in the C thirty-six. And uh, I had the pleasure of driving this car one time before I ripped it apart for the client, and <laughs> reverted it to stock because that's what he wanted. Okay. Which was a good idea. It was a lovely car. Um, and it it scooted pretty good. Um, I think it was pushing twelve psi. It was four hundred and four hundred and twenty horsepower, something like that. That's healthy power that's just properly good power regardless was, of what it's in it was substantial for that car especially because the rear suspension was a little tired that's yeah. actually kind of fun but it had an lsd and it was a brisk evening so <laughs> i had some fun with it lots of sideways made sure that it was working um i didn't retain any of the the turbo kit but i had the engine i had the uuc segmented kevlar clutch from it uh, i just took that as partial payment well, for plus, doing the swap i imagine that turbo kit would not have even worked in no. car at all and i mean it was a bottom mount kit to begin with which works pretty well in an e36 left-hand drive but not my right car a bottom mount doesn't work in an e30 let alone a car with a steering shaft running right where the turbo would be yeah no it wouldn't work so that <laughs> again I'll, we can do an episode that focuses more on brexit at another time but i i was able to get it all installed with the top mount and get a downpipe that fits and it's running a much smaller turbo now, but it's still, it must be pushing 400 horsepower, and it's it's really terrifying. But going through a drive-through in that car is swell, because, yeah, I'm sitting on the right side of the car. It has uh, manual crank front windows, even though it has power rear windows, which is a little strange. It's like the opposite of a neon. Right. <laughs> and I think I get why they did that, because you can't really reach to the back seats to roll down the windows. So, like, yeah, if we're going to give you two sense, power windows, yeah. it'll be these. So, I do that, i got to reach across the car... <laughs> Like, let the clutch out with this, like, ceramic clutch, making sure that I'm in neutral, and then... <laughs> Otherwise, know, it the will money die immediately. Yeah, it's a light switch. Even with a big 3.2-liter engine and a light car. I mean, it weighs 2,800 pounds. It's That's that's a lot. And is, is, are you still making close to that 400 mark? Oh, yeah. God, that's got to be a lot of fun. And it's terrifying. So, wait, how much does it weigh again? 2,800 pounds. 2,800 pounds? That's like... For not, a reference, like a modern car... Um, that's not just light, that's Honda light. That's a Fiat 500 Abarth minus 100 pounds? No, it, that, that's that's what I call Honda light. It's <laughs> Honda like, light, yeah. For, for a normal car, like 3,000 pounds, like you go, that's light. Yeah, these but, days, it's pretty light. Well, I mean, just like objectively, like mm -hmm. for most sports cars, 3,000 pounds is a ton and a half. For sure. is light. Yeah, I mean, that's but a BRZ. In, in the world of Hondas, um, which I... I don't want to come off as one of those, like, Honda bros, but, like, it's where I come from, and I make a lot of, like, when I make connections, comes from this. But, like, when I hear 3,000 pounds, I go, oh, that's kind of heavy. But, like, because I'm coming from the Hondas, where a Civic right. is 2,000 pounds. Like, a 2,200-pound Civic is, like, fully loaded. You have the sunroof, and you have the heated seats, and the butt massager, yep. and everything. Like, that's crazy, like... A bunch of stuff. But well, it's like my sixteen hundred. Yeah, no, it, like that's the thing. It's like, that's, that's insanely light for mm -hmm. a, a wagon, really. It is a wagon. It's very that's, practical. Too. I mean, that's just awesome. That sounds like a whole bunch of fun. It's a cool car. <laughs> I uh, 
I just got it, you know, all bolted together more or less, and it's blown through a couple of turbos. But I think I've sorted out the issue with that now. So this Weren't year, you, running like, you were just uh, using like eBay, whatever turbos, right? Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah, running so, yeah, China I mean, chargers. But that wasn't their problem. Like one of those was off the Unicorn 2.0. Like I beat the crap out of that thing for a year and a half, and it was the fine. Best luck with weird tur- like eBay stuff. Yeah, like that's just bizarre. Because like you'll have an eBay thing and it'll work perfectly. You know, Corey would buy the same eBay thing and it would blow up immediately, and he'd be covered in shrapnel. <laughs> basically like if this goes wrong like it's probably going to ruin my very expensive build s52 but like eh, it's probably fine it's, that, that's that's a lot buy, of balls that i don't have <laughs> i was gonna buy another one but i'm gonna go with the ball bearing version this time wait um, uh, ebay ball bearing mm-hmm. yeah it's, it's actually modified by cx racing so they balance it oh okay because my, my kind of rule of thumb is with ebay stuff the the more moving parts you have, the worse it is because it's more likely just to break. For sure. And if it's anything that takes more than five minutes for me to put on, I don't touch it. It's not much more than five minutes to change the turbo on this thing. It, they, everything is right up there. Top note. So, yeah. and it's so just my issue was oil pressure. I don't think I was taking it from the correct place on the engine. Um, I was taking it from the top of the oil filter housing, which is getting oil because that's where it's pumping through the filter. But... A lot of people I'm noticing are taking it off the variable valve timing hydraulic system. Yeah, I'm going to be way higher pressure. Right, because that's going to be like 90 PSI. So I can yeah. use that little reducer and it should be fine. So I'm going to try that because I drove it to storage last year and like I, it was fine when I left my house. But by the time I got to the storage unit, she was blowing smoke pretty good. So. Oh my god, I saw a Subaru completely clear out the highway in front of my house when they left a stoplight on the way here. It was absolutely hilarious cleared out with what uh it was the like navy blue smoke (laughs) okay so this wasn't a healthy vehicle no this is not healthy at all when i say when i say cleared out (laughs) like this dude like went full throttle like he was not trying to baby it to get home like this guy's just driving like you know as a bro does oh yes but um he went like full throttle from the stoplight and like this is a at that point, it's a six-lane road. Sure. Clears out both lanes in almost the entire length of Knollwood Mall. You could not see across the road. The guy just <laughs> continues going like it's no big deal. And I'm like, the fact that that thing's able to ignite that much oil is actually pretty it was, impressive. It was, it was a shocking amount of oil. Wow. <laughs> I guess if it's boosting the compression with, like, filling the combustion chamber with that much oil it might actually be dieseling so yeah i, I think it is yeah at that point it's, it's just running off the oil <laughs> multi-fuel deuce and a deuce and a half in the 1940s yeah it, it, that's what it is basically it, the same problem. I, I bet the guy's probably he's just like an old world war ii truck enthusiast and want to turn his subaru into a deuce and a half oh my word <laughs> i hope those people don't exist but at the same time i know they do oh there's we have we have the most ridiculous white car enthusiasts here and that's awesome. That's I, why I like it. That, that's that's why that's why we started this this whole podcast. I think um, when we, uh, we, I think we should have just like a couple of episodes where we just kind of detail the more ridiculous things that Minnesota people do because yeah. it's a weird state well, where I think we should get the people on that actually do most of the ridiculous things. Too. Yeah, well, it's like it's it's weird because we don't um, we're kind of like Chicago, where Chicago doesn't. Um, that really influenced... Well, no, hear me out. <laughs> Chicago is a weird style because they're not influenced by the East Coast or the West Coast. They kind of, sure. like, do their own thing. Yeah. But, like, Minnesota's... They have their own standard. Yeah, Minnesota's like that, but where Chicago has a lot of... Shootings. <laughs> yes, <laughs> shootings. 
No, Chicago's got a, a much larger um, like import community over everything else. Sure. We're just this like weird, almost like even hodgepodge of everything. Yeah. So then you just get you get the most bizarre builds, and yeah, we'll talk about that in the future. There's definitely some stuff happening, probably <laughs> literally next door to us. That yeah, are probably, like, wow, national newsworthy, but just yeah, the I fact can, that it's happening in the middle of a really nicely finished farm field in Chanhassen, Minnesota. Can, yeah, like my roommate building a 1980 Dodge Colt track car. With the twin stick. With the twin stick. So 1980 Dodge Colt is a Mitsubishi Mirage. <laughs> it has a, a transmission that's adapted from a pickup truck. And they just kind of basically put the differential under it. Yeah. And the way they mounted it. They like just, a Toronado. Yeah. They, they had two. <laughs> they could have put in like one gear to be like an intermediate gear. So, yeah. But they instead did two. So you could have a high and low differential range. It's like a splitter. Yeah. yeah it's an eight-speed transmission basically. But he's building that for endurance racing. And his team also runs like a 280ZX. I might have him on at some point because it's just yeah, a that ridiculous car. I'd just like to hear about the build from his perspective. <laughs> it's a ridiculous car. Oh, man. I've seen that thing pre-build, and it, it always caught my eye at shows just because it's, I mean, it's it's rough, but to the point where it's cool rough, not like, oh, wow, I can jam my entire arm into the window. No, it, like it's, it's like actually like perfectly patinaed. Yeah, like it's that, a solid patina It's a car, really cool sure. patina. It's a awesome trim it's level. like seeing a mint lacar on the road it, it is but like if it wasn't like just a lacar if it was like a lacar maxi turbo or oh, something so cool. it's just like one of those weird like higher trim we'll levels do a french car episode too but. yes <laughs> it was like a higher is a weird higher trim level but yeah it's just it, but it was like sitting out in a field in like wilmer minnesota for like a decade and that's how it ended up looking like that the college roommates is from that town Oh, really? That's, uh, Kyle Schmidt. Now he's out in Los Angeles doing video. That is much better than living in Wilmer. It is, yeah. <laughs> Good for him. But anyway. So, I we think... definitely... This, this, yeah. Oh, man. We, I'm sure we could talk about that for all eternity, but in the interest of trying to keep these things... Well, we don't really know how long they're going to end up being, but I feel like somewhere between an hour and an hour and a half is... That'd be perfect. A pretty good time. We're at an hour and a quarter, so... Let's call it a day, then. We'll call it a day. See you next uh, time. Yeah, we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening, guys. See ya.